<laughs> Good morning. I wish I wish that everybody watching could have seen the sprint to the finish to get in their seats. That was awesome. So good. Let's, uh, will somebody close that door, please, and uh, let's get into it. This is going to be really good this morning. And um, we, uh, last week, we were talking about uh, hindrances to healing. And what was interesting in that uh, class was that Man, it came alive with questions, <laughs> and uh, people were interested in healing and why it gets stopped and is healing for today, and I just, I really felt like we were supposed to continue in it today, and we might even continue in it some next week, but I wanted to give you just some, um, uh, some basic foundational stuff on healing, and uh, matter of fact, I know we've got some activity this morning if somebody would go and say, hey, Brian's starting on a foundational healing right now. If you want to hear about healing, you need to come right now. So amen. And uh, so what happened last week was we started talking about healing, and all of a sudden everybody was like, um, what about this? What about this? What about this? And the Lord instantly said, That's, uh, that is not what, uh, where I want it to stop. I want it to continue next week. So let's get those lights too, please. And um, so... What we did is uh, I just was meditating on this all week long, seeing exactly what direction the Lord wanted to go uh, in talking about this. And uh, praise God, let there be light. Amen. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that I felt like he wanted us to do was just go straight into, is healing of God and is it for today? Why do we believe in healing or not believe in healing? Uh, it has a lot to do not just with um do we believe in healing in itself? A lot of times, major hang-ups to every other piece of uh, promise that we're trying to acquire by faith, if you can get healing, you can get the other promises. Um, you, you have to understand that faith in any promise is the same no matter what the promise is. You just apply belief towards that promise. So in other words, if I have a promise towards provision, like financial provision, then I can apply that as soon as I have a promise towards healing, faith works the same. So in other words, matter of fact, I, Nicole and I would say uh, really learned faith through finances. And then other things became easy once we learned how to have faith for finances. Um, and then faith for deliverance and faith for restoration. Uh, and that is one of the starting points for healing. One of the things that I would say is this, is that in healing, uh, a lot of times where people are in their faith towards healing and towards any promises with God is this. They are in the position of what they've been taught by their preacher, by their priest, by the world, and all of their environment and experiences have actually formed what they believe on healing. Yeah. All of that has been formed by who they've heard, who they've listened to. And sometimes it's not necessarily a person that they've listened to. They've listened to the world or they've listened to experiences. And, you know, I've seen this a lot, and this is a good thing. Uh, a good thing to recognize is people will pray. And then it doesn't happen. And so their assumption is that God didn't want it to happen. Well, that's an incorrect assumption. You've got to understand that there's a lot of variables involved. It's simple. God loves you. But we tend to add a lot of variables in our choice to believe that. So what happens is with healing is, we end up uh, looking at experience. Well, this happened. Well, that didn't happen. Well, this must be God. This must not be God. But w experiential doctrine is always wrong, okay? It can, it can um, be correct. It can be right. But it's not something to look to. We don't believe based off of what we see. The just shall live, think about that, and live in fullness by faith and not by sight. So when we're living by experiences, when we have experiential doctrine, 
we're actually already on the path to moving into a place where the devil can really deceive us and the world can really deceive us because our experiences can have variables that we don't know about. There can be in influences and factors that we don't understand yet. How many people uh, know something about God today that you didn't know five or six, ten years ago? All right, so anything that you don't know about God could be a factor, and you don't know. That's why we don't have experiential doctrine. And so one of the things that we have to do, what kind of doctrine do we have? Well, we go back to the Word. We have the Word. We know every Scripture is inspired and breathed by the Holy Spirit. We know it's profitable for us. We know that it defines, you know, uh, the Bible in itself is not um, it's alive and it became flesh, but the Bible that we have like this, you know, it, this, this in itself is not God. Okay? This in itself is not God. Otherwise, we would put it up on a pedestal and we would bow down and worship it. We don't do that. This is a picture of God, a perfect picture of God that shows us who he is and what he's like. It shows us his character. It shows us his nature. And so we can go into this and we can trust this to say, hey, what does God look like? What's his will on healing? So one of the first things that we need to look at in healing is this, is you know most people will take the word uh, save and savior and salvation and most Christians will say, yes, that's for me. That saving is for me, right? And, but what they do is they only apply eternal life to that word. But the problem with that is when you actually go into the original languages in the Hebrew and in the Greek, in the Greek the word is sozo, all right? And it is, that is to save, okay? Now, Here's the thing. It means eternal salvation. But here's most of the time because of our environment and because of our experience, when we hear save, our mind directly goes to heaven and eternity and not here and now. But the word actually means to save in any area. So what area do you need saving in? That's what Jesus paid for. It literally means to save you from disease, to save you from poverty, to save you from destruction, to save you. It, it literally means to save in healing, uh, prosperity, to be able to be made to do well. It means to restore. It means to deliver, right? It means to give eternal life. All right, so that's the one that the church has basically focused on is the eternal life. Now, what's interesting about that is if we focus on eternal life, something that we really uh, can't change ourselves, the, the issue becomes that what we're doing is we're putting all the responsibility to believe God for now on God instead of taking the responsibility to believe him in faith now for the things now. So in other words, we can say, well, in the sweet by and by. Well, that's easy to say when it's in the sweet by and by. That's easy for us. That, that lifts the responsibilities off of our shoulder. This is why it's very important for people to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, with great reverence and trembling. Why? Because you've got to make sure that you're not just believing on something in the future that you can't see, and basically it's boiled down to, I really don't believe at all. So here, you know, and I'm, this is a statement that I believe the Lord's just given me that, that would help you. If you can't believe God for the things that he's given to you right now, I would say that's a good symptom that you need to check to say, do I believe him for something I can't see too? In other words, if I can't believe God for healing and saving while I'm on this earth, maybe I need to double check, do I really believe him to save me? In the future? Now, if you're getting upset at that, then maybe I've just hit a hot button, you know, and that, and that would highlight something where you need to get humble and really check yourself. This is, this is an important thing. All right, so the first thing is that when God said, I'm a Savior, when he said, I'm going to send my son and he's a Savior, 
then when healing is included in that, he is saving you from sickness, then when he pronounced my son is a savior, when he said that by, his, by the Holy Spirit in his word, he just said he's your healer. Amen. Which he actually called himself that. In, in this book, he called his nature Jehovah Rapha, right? That is the Lord that heals thee. All right, so this is a nature and character of God, okay? This is a nature and character of God. Healing is something that God defines himself. It's not just a name, it's who he is, okay? He says, I'm Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord that healeth thee. This is a way that God chose in all of his sovereignty to describe himself. This is huge. Now, one of the things that I want you to see and understand is, I don't want you to believe it because it's coming out of my mouth. This is where a lot of doctrine on healing has gotten off because people have taken what's coming out of a preacher's mouth as the gospel. It's not. The gospel is the gospel. The gospel is the good news. I'm, if you're hearing it out of my mouth, that means that it has been filtered through a man. Okay? And as a man, I still have a flesh, and I can miss it. And you shouldn't take just what I say as gospel. My job as a minister is to point to the good news, to point to the gospel. And then your job is, as a believer is to go into that and say, is that true what he said? For real? I mean, are you kidding me? Was, is that really in there? I'm not sure that's in there. Good. Go check. Get it for yourself, because here's the other thing. I can believe on something. I can believe on something, but you don't need my belief. You need your belief. You need your own resolve on whatever it is. You need your own resolve on every promise of God. Because when, you're, when it gets down to it, it's not my belief that's going to get you healed. It's your belief. So, what I'm pointing you to do, a lot of times what it's interesting when I see people fight against healing because what I'm pointing people towards is to believe that God is good. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm thinking, how do people fight against God being good? And I understand that there's deception, but then there's also, uh, the, it, it helps us put the blame on God than, than it does on ourself. And, 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 you know, the truth of the matter is, we, we as human beings, we're really good at that. <laughs> you know, because this flesh nature has been teaching us since we were little kids to be like, they did it. You know, even, even Adam in the garden's like, it's that woman you gave me, right? That, it's, it's a part of the flesh nature. It's a part of the nature that, that wants to blame it on somebody else. Uh-uh, it wasn't me. But see, what is that? That's pride that says, I got everything right. Humility says, I know I don't have everything right. I'm willing to be wrong. And in humility, we've been talking about it on Wednesday, that's where greater grace is found. That's where grace is found to overcome and be greater than your problems is when we humble ourselves and say, okay, you know what? I could be wrong. If we had more of the church that were willing to say, okay, you know what? I could be wrong. Do you realize how much grace we'd be walking in? Whoo, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. So in healing, a lot of times when I get you know, blowback on healing, here's the issue. You're fighting from the side that God's not a good healer. And I'm trying to say that he is. And we're on the same team. Why? And what it is is they've had teaching, they've had experience that they haven't taken every variable into account. And now all of a sudden they've, they've said, well, it must be this way. Well, humility says, I got to back up and say, hmm, time out. And so just my personal story, when I was, I mean, I saw the miracle power of God even as a small child. And th but then I grew up to be an adult. 
And as I grew up to be an adult, and then especially knowing that I'm probably going to preach and minister, and there's a scripture in there that says, uh, don't, don't go be a teacher lightly and don't do it quickly because it carries a responsibility. And I realized I don't need to be teaching something I don't know. And so very early on, the Lord started leading me to uh, some scriptures and to some revelation on healing. And as I got into it, the more and more I got into it, the more and more I found out that the world is way off on their thinking about healing. I mean, it's way off. And because God is so good, how many people does he want to go to hell? None, right? And why do we know that? Because I told you? The Word says that. That's right. And yet, how many, how many parents here would purposefully make your child sick to teach them something. Anyone that's walking in love, they would not do that. And so just, you know, logic, spiritual logic here also says God doesn't want them sick any more than he wants them to go to hell. And if you notice the thread through the gospel, it's always, always, always Sickness and sin go together because they were a part of the curse. They always go together because they were a part of the curse. Matter of fact, let's turn real quick and go into Deuteronomy 28, which is a great, great chapter. It's a little uncomfortable reading past uh, um, verse 14, but... Verse 1 through 14 in Deuteronomy 28 lays out the blessing. He says, you'll be, you'll be blessed. He says, you'll be, you'll be uh, doing great things. You'll be the head and not the tail. He will, he will command the blessing. The enemies will be defeated. You'll be blessed going in and blessed coming out and all this great stuff. You'll be the, the lender and not the borrower. And then, so he's, he declares what the blessing is. But then he declares what the curse is. Okay? Now, and you need to understand something. This is important. Um, this is very, very important for walking into the fullness of the promises of God. All right, so one of the things that happened in the 1600s when they wrote King James, what did they call, um, what was their mindset in that time and in that age? What was their mindset towards disasters? Who caused them? God. Even in our legal documents today, they still will list certain things and call it what? Acts of God. That's right. And, and all that goes back to a period of time, and it was called the Dark Ages for a reason, because their attitude was pretty dark, right? Well, this is the same group of people that actually uh, gave us the first English Bible that was used for 400 years. So a lot of our doctrine and theology, if, if this was what we got doctrine and theology from for 400 years, and all of our preachers were using it that spoke English, do you think that we're affected by that? Sure, absolutely. Whether it be good or bad, definitely affected. So their thinking in that period of time was that, and, and somehow they got to that place in the 1600s. But if you go back to the original where you're looking at Jesus and Peter and Paul and all these guys, right? what you start to see is this doesn't line up with what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. And one of the things in, uh, there's a guy named um, Robert Young who was a, uh, have you, anybody know what a concordance is? All right, so a concordance is basically going to show you uh, which of the Hebrew and Greek words are where, which ones they are, and what their definitions are. And one of the things that he laid out in there was that in the Hebrew, you have two different verb tenses for most of the things. When you see, like, there's some verses, actually, when you go into the Passover story, one verse in English literally says, God smote them. And then there's another verse that says, and God allowed, and the destroyer came. All right, so God, you have to understand, God's not the destroyer. God's not the destroyer. So once you see that, it's like, wait a minute, that looks like the Bible is contradicting itself. 
But does the Bible contradict itself? No, it's the perfect word, perfect will of God, perfect character and nature. So something's off here. So what is that thing that's off? Well, one of the things is in Hebrew tenses, uh, you have a verb tense that says God caused it, a causative tense. He did it. He smacked him. He's like, get right, you know. And then you have another tense that says he allowed it. And so what they did in a lot of the tenses, because in that time, that was their thinking that God was doing all this, right? And so he said in, what happened in that was that they actually turned a lot of those, and it's hard to tell which tense is using until you know the heart of God. And they use the causative tense, God actually did it, instead of he allowed it. And they use the wrong tense in the verb. Well, if you do that enough times, you read through the Old Testament, guess what happens? All of a sudden, how, what's your view of God? Man, he, he's like, woo, yeah. Now, he's not somebody to be messed with. He's not somebody to come against, right? He will protect who he's in covenant with, right? He's a defender. He's a protector. And, you know, I, it's kind of like, Nicole, I love y'all. But y'all come and you try to hurt her. I'm in covenant with her. Something going to happen, right? You see what I'm saying? That this is, yes, you, you behave. <laughs> and so something's going to happen. Well, God's the same way. Thank goodness. I want him on my side, right? But we've got to understand that his heart is not to hurt people. If that was all he wanted to do, all we had to do was be like earth, you know, death star us from heaven, right? That's all we had to do. It's real simple. The fact that we're still here ought to tell us a whole lot about the heart of God. Because in, in Romans 5, it says that we were sinners, we were enemies, and we were helpless, right? We were in a bad situation. Enemies of God by his own words, right? The fact that we're still here proves something. And so a lot of times, I remember I had a, a friend one time, he said, I can, I can accept Jesus, I, I like what he, he did, but I can't accept the God of the Old Testament. I heard Andrew Womack say this the best. In Hebrew, matter of fact, will you put up uh, Hebrews 1.3, please? And this is really what we're getting to, and this is why not accepting healing can be a problem for believers and for Christians, because what we're really talking about is the character and nature and heart of God. And if you boil the Bible down, what you're going to come up to is 1 John chapter 4, God is love. If you boil it all down, God is love. But even our idea of love has been slanted by what we've believed in experience instead of what the Word says. God is love. If you've tasted of Him, then you've tasted of His goodness in 1 Peter chapter 2. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turn. So what we're really discussing is His character and His nature. And you've got to understand, just think about this, if everything good in you came from Him, you take Him out of the picture, and all the stuff you thought was good, what are you left with? So if you got good in you, it's all from him. We owe him thanks and worship and praise for all of this stuff. If you ever, ever did anything good, it came from God. Take him out of the equation and we're a mess. And all you've got left is everything bad. All right, so what's interesting in you know, the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament, I heard Andrew Womack put it this way, is he said, he said the picture of God in the Old Testament is true and it is correct. And it is. And there's reason for certain things that happen that we want to blame on the hardness of the heart of God that wasn't that at all. But then we look over here and we see that Jesus is who he's talking about. He says, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory. And now listen to this right here. The exact representation of his nature. The exact representation of the nature of the Father. 
the exact. Put, will you put that up in King James as well? The exact representation of his nature. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Upholding all things by the word of his power. He's the exact character and nature of the Father. And what really got me was the uh, adulterous woman. When, when the adulterous woman comes in and the scribes and Pharisees are trying to, you know, they're, they're getting ready to stone her. But what they're really up to is they're trying to trap Jesus. And in that moment, they say, hey, the law says to stone her. We caught her in the very act. What do you say? And Jesus backs up, writes on the ground. I believe that he was just making sure he heard from the Holy Spirit, receiving wisdom. And anointing is the wisdom of God. And so I believe he's receiving wisdom because it says that he never did anything without seeing the Father do it. He never said anything they didn't hear the Father say. So what he was doing was the exact nature and character of who? The Father. And so what does he do? He says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And so they all start dropping the rocks. They all start going away. Now, this is the character and nature of Jesus. Yes. But also, who was it the character and nature of? The Father. And so they start dropping their, their stones. They, they, they start walking away. And then eventually all of them are gone. And he looks to the woman and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? And she says, They are no more, Lord. And he says, Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Now, the very interesting point in this is, was there somebody there without sin? Yes. yes. So was there one completely legal by the law, even by his own standards that he just spoke, that was completely capable of picking up a rock and stoning her to death? Yes, there was somebody there, but his choice under the exact nature of God, the exact heart of the Father was, I don't accuse you either. I don't accuse you either. Now go and sin no more. And what's great about that is we see the heart of the Father. Andrew said it like this. He said the Old Testament is an accurate picture of God. It's just not the complete one. You see the completion in Christ. And you, and you say, well, why didn't we have a complete picture of God in the Old Testament? Because he had to work it because he had already given the earth to men. He had to work through a man. He had to present himself in a human, which is why Jesus came as a man. And now he's able to present himself in the exact nature and representation of God. And what was the heart of God? Was the heart of God towards that lady a destroyer or a savior? A savior. And see, the church does this all the time, and they've got the... Right. So what they'll do is the church so many times will do this. The church will tell somebody, well, you can't come in here until you get your stuff straight. Yeah. But Jesus told the woman, let me get your stuff straight and now go and don't do it again. Yeah. In other words, let me give you love first because it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Exactly. Let, me, let me give you... First, love, and that love will empower you to go and sin no more. That's right. Now we're into the character and nature of God. Well, now once we get into the character and nature of God, what happens is we start to see how he can be a healer and he wants no one to live in this. And they'll use uh, different scriptures that they'll take out of context, like Paul's thorn. Uh, they'll use different things. But we've got to start seeing. First of all, if he says, I'm a Savior, it means it's in every way. If you boil the Bible down, it says, God is love. And then if you boil the Bible down to what is our response to that love, our response is to believe as a child. And so what we got to do is, is I had this 
picture, you know, for so long that the Lord gave me, and, and it's accurate, and he's given me another one recently. But as a child, this is our response, is the Lord asked me one time, he says, when you were four or five years old, if your dad told you something, how would you believe it? And it was like, I would believe it like it was gospel. He could have told me, at that age, my dad could have told me, Hitler was great. I would have believed it because I was as a child. I believed in the goodness of my father. I had the faith of a child. Now, it would have been wrong for me to believe my father like that because he's still a man. But I can take that faith and apply it to God and I'm always going to be right. And so when I, as a child, look at that, here's the other part of it. This is the other image of as a child. So God's part, if you boil the Bible down, is God is love. He is good. And our part is to believe as a child. The other image that the Lord gave me recently is is a nest full of little baby birds. And then the mama or daddy bird brings food back to it. And it's like all you see, you know, go watch a National Geographic. And it's like the birds aren't sitting there like, Oh, loving parent, I am so glad that you have come to serve me today. No, they're like, ah, you know, they're, they're wide open, mouth wide open. And, and look, it, the mother or father bird, they could have anything that they dropped in there, but that child, that baby bird, is going to gobble it all up. With an earthly parent, that's not a good thing. Even with an earthly shepherd, even with an earthly pastor. That's why I'm not asking you to believe what I'm saying. I'm asking you to believe what God said. I'm pointing you to some of these things. But see, if it's God who is the one who's giving, his character and his nature demands that it is good and that it is love. And my job is to accept that as a child. So now I can look in the Word, having those two things very clear, and I would say take those two points and meditate on it because it's when you get those two points that now the Bible starts to do this. And it's, it is beautiful how that happens. All of a sudden it starts to make sense. And you start to see how people have missed that because they haven't known that God is good in that kind of way and the heart of, and they haven't accepted Him as a child. Both of those things can be big errors in doctrine. Huge. If, it doesn't, if doctrine doesn't come through God as love and accepting it as a child, it's going to be off. It's going to, it's going to start contradicting itself really quickly. But when you file it through that filter that God is love, and where are we getting those filters from? Is it coming from us? No, it's coming from the Word. When we start putting the Bible and everything that God does and what He wants to do through those filters, all of a sudden the Bible starts doing this. And man, it's beautiful what it does. It's amazing. And that's where the power of God is released. That's where the power for healing is released. God is love. I accept it as a child. So then, once I get that and I spend time on that and I have resolve on that, I go back into the Word and I start seeing that God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals thee. And I start realizing, if I'm going to, as a child, believe in the goodness of what he just called himself, that means he's my healer all the time, every time. There is no, no, I don't think so this time. No, he's my healer. It's his nature. It's kind of like this is going to happen because this is the output that he's given. It didn't say a Jehovah Rapha sometimes. It didn't say that. And he's very specific about what he says. When he says that I'm, I'm your Savior, then that means he's my savior for eternal life. He's my savior for healing, for finances, for deliverance, for restoration. In every way, any way that you need saving, I'm it. That's what Jesus was saying. We start taking this approach to things and all of a sudden all this stuff lines up. All this stuff starts to make sense. Even that scripture where he gives every good and perfect gift in James chapter 1, verse 17. It says, every good and perfect gift is given from, from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. In other words, that is a description of his love, and it's pure directly at you. It will not turn, not one variation, not one degree to the left or to the right. And like that light shining at me, 
if I turn my face this way, there's a shadow of turning over here that starts to happen. No, his love is so pure and so direct towards you, it will never turn, not one degree away from you. It's always pure towards you. It's defining his love for you. We see there then in Deuteronomy, back where we started all this, that you have laid out the blessing and the curse. And God's not the one who's necessarily bringing the curse upon them. He's letting them know it's kind of like a parent that comes home and they see their kid up on top of the roof getting ready to jump. Say, I can fly. And God's the one saying, hey, there's some gravity and you're about to find out what it does. Stop. That's what this is. God's saying, hey, there's a curse here. And when you're obedient to me, you walk in the blessing. But when you're obedient to the world and to your flesh, you're going to walk in the curse. And you're under the curse simply by the bite that they took, that sin. And it's throughout all mankind. But I'm your Savior. And right now, if you'll just walk with me, I'll take care of it. Later on, though, if you will believe in Jesus, in Galatians 3.13... It said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has redeemed us. We're not talking about will do. We're talking about past tense. We are redeemed. We're redeemed. Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy 28, what it starts to list in the curse is, starts to list sickness. Starts to list. You get down to verse 28, and even in that verse, it says, and God will smite you in that verse. But, you know, wrong type of translation. He'll allow it. But it says, every disease, named or unnamed. So now we just covered every disease under the sun. And then you go to Galatians 3.13, and it says what? You are redeemed from this. Because Christ took the curse for you. Now that right there, if we really are believing God as faith, as a child in faith, that right there should be enough for us to say, sickness has nothing to do with me as a believer and redeemed in Christ. Amen. It has no place, no right. That ought to be enough. If it's not enough, and a lot of times it's not, I mean, I read that, and I still just didn't get it. I did not have my mind, and I didn't have my mind renewed to it. I needed more, and I needed more. So I know that he's a savior. I know that he's redeemed me from the curse. I go into John 10.10. Great, great scripture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now here's the question. Jesus drew a very fine line between the two sides of that. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and life in abundance. All right? Jeopardy time. Where does sickness fall? Even the smallest thing. What is that? Yeah. It, it's destruction, it's stealing. Sickness is never, never going to fall over in life category. It's not going to fall in there. It's always going to be in the death category. Why? Because it's a part of sin. It's a part of the curse. It's a part of what the curse brought. It says, the word tells us that sickness came in because of the curse. Because of death. Remember, we were created to live forever. If we're redeemed, that's the thing. What is redemption in itself? Just the word. It says that we are redeemed, made like it never, ever happened. Well, if, if, sickness, if sin never happened, what are we made like? What are we redeemed to? We're redeemed into a place that has the curse removed and the blessing is there like the garden. Yeah. Then you have Jesus who says, And this is really interesting. Hey, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How much sickness is in heaven? None. So Jesus is telling you to pray, Lord, may your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. In other words, Lord, may your will be done in no sickness on earth just like it is in heaven, because that's his will that's seen in heaven. 
were redeemed back to the garden where they were created to live forever. Now, after that period of time, he did set a date in Genesis chapter 6, 3 that, there, that he has appointed for us to go ahead and pass away this corrupted flesh because this was not something that was renewed. But yet, through Jesus, when we change the spiritual root, it means that we can still live a long, full, and satisfied life in Psalms 91. Okay, And so we see that even though we still have this corrupted body that's going to try to bring sickness on you, we have no part with it anymore. And if we will stand up and say, I don't take part with you, sickness, all of a sudden we can start walking in those things. Now I'll tell you from personal experience, and this is here you, here's experiential doctrine, I'm going to tell you what I went through to help you. It took me some time to get that through my head. Like, I didn't just get a revelation of this one day and be like, oh, praise God, and I never had any more sickness. Look at that. I, ain't, I never had any more. No, 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 no. I got stuff I'm believing for right now. But I will tell you this that I have experienced. I started seeing miraculous healing, not only in my ministry, but in our family, in my own body. I started seeing it more and more. I started seeing sicknesses that everybody else took two months to get rid of. They only took me a week. So I started having restoration and recovery faster and faster and faster and faster. Jesus, oh golly, I, now all these scriptures are coming. What's interesting in Matthew 6 when he tells us to preach, we're going to do this again next week. Uh, when he told us to preach, when he told us to go and preach, he said, you go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. Why would he tell us to do that if it wasn't a part of But right here in this prayer, he told us this. He said, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our what? Daily our daily bread. Right. Well, let's look at something real quick. So what do you think most people would say that daily bread is? Daily provision is a good word. But most people are going to equip that, uh, equate that to finances, correct? All right, let's go to Matthew 15. And let's look at this, and we'll wrap up with this. It says, The faith of a Canaanite woman in 1521. So Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. He did not answer her a word. Now this is very interesting. Here's Jesus, the exact character and nature of God. This woman says, hey, come help me. And he was silent. And see, this right here is where most people fall away from healing. Oh, well, he must not want to help me. This wasn't the heart of God. She tapped into the heart of God, but part of her tapping in was because she didn't take just that initial response as the end response. Let me put it this way. She knew something, we're going to see it, she knew something about the heart of God that most people didn't see. And you'll notice in this story, remember the woman with the issue of blood that came up and touched? You remember Jairus, right? All of these, you remember blind Bartimaeus? All of these people, basically, Jesus was going to walk by. Jairus came and he was going to go to Jairus' house, but the woman with the issue of blood, this lady here, Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus was going to walk by them. But something moved God. They said, I believe in the heart and the character and nature of God. I believe in who he is. And they put a demand by faith on that. And that moved God. That faith moved God. God responds to somebody that will humble themselves to trust him and not let go. God moves to it. I think in these situations that, that the Lord let these things be seen so that we could see how our faith connects to the heart of God. 
I think he was allowing these to, to teach us and to show us something. He was showing these examples of it so that we would learn to not let go, but to having done all stand in faith, particularly in healing. He says this. Now, here he is, Jesus. You know, think about if somebody came in. Let, let's say that Chris came in, and he walked into church one day, and he comes up, and he was like, Hey, I'm Chris Bivens. And I looked at him and went, And walked away. Now, what would we do in American culture? Well, that, you know, I ain't never coming back to that church. I ain't never coming back to that church. Does he know who I am? That's not what this woman did, though. See, she moved in humility. That didn't, that didn't get her to go away. He had a reason for doing this. There was a reason. He was following the protocols. But see, there's something that even, even moves the heart of God beyond the protocols. This is a big point. <clears throat> he did not answer her word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. <laughs> you know, think, Chris walks into church. Now the preachers ignored him. You know, he's standing over there. Hey, you're going to help me? You're going to help me? All during the service. And then, you know, my leadership team comes to me and goes, would you please call the cops and get him out of here? He is being so loud. And yet this woman did not let that throw her off. Verse 24. But he answered her and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Her time was coming. Her time was coming, but he was following protocol, and it's important to follow order. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now think about the same situation with Chris. I ignore him. Then he keeps shouting during the services. My leadership team saying, would you get rid of him? And yet, let's say that he humbled himself enough to come up and even get to the place where he said, please help me, and bowed down. Now, what kind of humility are we talking about, first off? See, we need to have this humility as a child when we're accepting his love. We need to have this kind of humility in front of him. This is what a lot of people are missing in the whole Christianity portion. They're missing this. And she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great, and it shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Amen. Now I want you to see, what did the woman who was correct call healing? She called it the children's bread said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a bread. This is a daily provision. Healing is a daily provision that belongs to the children of God. Who has the devil fault to keep that out of your head? Even this, she went so far to say, is your bread, your provision so good? This is nothing but a crumb. This is a leftover. Healing's, healing's so much a part of you that even the leftovers. Just give me a crumb. I know how big and how great you are. Yeah. That's good. Healing is the children's bread. Amen. Healing is your bread if you know Christ. Lord, we just thank you right now. If you got something in your body that needs healing right now. We're going to continue this again next week. We're going to go into even more scripture talking about healing. If you got something though right now in your body, you don't need me to touch you. You don't need Jesus physically present to touch you. What you need is humility and faith that says, you are who you say you are. I believe in your character. I believe in your nature. And I accept your word above what the world has told me. Lord, I accept 
my daily bread. I accept healing right now in my body. If you want to, just put hands on that place that's causing you issue and just say, Lord, right now I accept healing in Jesus' name. I accept recovery. I accept restoration. It's your nature. Lord, I believe in your love. It's not just healing I'm believing in. I believe that you love me. That you love me with an everlasting love. It's evident by the fact that I'm just still here. And if you love me that much, then you love me this much to give me daily bread. I receive healing right now in Jesus' name. And just say it. Just say, say Lord, I believe in your love. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. And the word says this. It says, and when they preach the word, they preach the good news. Though The spirit worked with them. Worked with them. And it gave them signs and wonders because of that. What was happening was, as they preached the goodness and the promises of God, the Holy Spirit started to make those things, to make healing happen because of the word preached. How many people had a pain and now you don't feel it? I actually, I do. I was hurting in my back. Yeah. Anybody else? Had something going on and now you don't feel it? Yep, he's working right now. And listen, just because you don't feel it doesn't mean that's not true. We don't live by sight. Right now you have to understand that when we prayed that prayer, the power of God was released for recovery and restoration and healing. And so when the devil comes and says, well, you must not have gotten anything because I still see it, I still feel it. That's when you say, no, wait a minute. That's, what, that's the same deception you've been trying to get me to buy the whole time. That I have something that was never mine. Yeah. I'm a child of God. If you know Christ, you're a child of God. And I have daily bread. I receive it. See, anytime the devil tries to tell you that you're sick or you're supposed to have sickness, you should know now, no, that is not a part of me. I'm a child. I have daily provision from God. That does not belong here. Amen. Lord. Amen. Thank you for your word. Thank you for everything in Jesus' name. We praise you and thank you that you are the healer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.